0: most important.
1: Every
2: moment I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact
0: that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg
3: Radio. Hello I'm Jason Kelly and I'm Mike Lynch
0: and I'm Michael Barr and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today we are talking all things sports gambling with sportsinfo.com CEO Steve Boudin Steve brings 20-plus years of experience to the table, and we hope to get some insights on the landscape for online betting. I know I got my pen and my notepad in this unusual time for professional sports. Steve, welcome to the show.
2: It's good to be here. It's funny you say that. In the old days, we used to say, go get a pen, but now everyone has a computer. No one has a <laughs> pen anymore. <laughs>
0: old man Barr still has an I advocate. was going to say, but Barr,
3: uh, Barr has a way of uh, doing, doing a little bit of a throwback uh, here, uh, Steve. (laughs) to to put it kindly um so steve i mean we're talking to you on monday september 14th and i have to say it feels like there's a sense of relief and maybe a sense of dare i say in this uncertain world a little bit of sense of normalcy because this was a massive sports weekend we're coming out of
2: i would agree and it also highlights the fact that for many many years now Sports have been transitioning, you know, at least for gamblers, you know, uh, for a long time now. It's a TV sport. Mm. You know what I mean? Obviously, the games are great to go to with with your young children, and it's a lot of fun. But in the adult world and in the gambling world, the last place a gambler ever finds himself is at a football stadium because he's usually watching six or seven games at one time, and they just don't have the capacity for that at stadiums. So really, for a gambler, this was complete normalcy. And uh, it's it, like I said to you earlier. It was good to be back, you know, in my in, right where I belong, right on the couch on a
0: Sunday. <laughs> Steve, I, I wonder. It's and I was looking at the uh, lines for the games, and uh, yep. of course, I was uh, I was dabbling a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, but one thing I noticed when the lines came out uh, earlier in the week to when Sunday came about, I didn't see much movement like you usually would see. Uh, when uh, the, the money starts going towards the favorite or wherever they want to bet. Is that because this was the, the first week uh, uh, trying to get uh, the rust off and get back going, or what happened?
2: So I, I think a lot of people have a misconception about the lines, right? They think that there's some mathematical expert in the back of a bookmaking office somewhere in Brooklyn. You know, that's kind of like uh, working with, uh, you know, his computers and coming up with the line. And that's really not how it works. You know, the line is actually made by by the gambler. So the line is just a mirror of public perception. And I think what happened in the first week is people didn't really know gamblers, right, didn't really know how to judge a home team. You know how many points to give a home team when they're making their bets you know how how normally you take a strong team and when they're at home you know this this, this makes this is the ingredients for a for a big bet right and uh, and now, without fans in the stadiums you know and we've seen it happen in basketball as well we we just don't really know you know in the we'd always say like home field advantage is usually an extra three points, and then it's about which team is better than the other team, but now there really isn't isn't that metric going on, so I think what happened is in the first week, people were kind of like just waiting to see you know how things work out, and now that they have that calculation in their head from week one we'll see a lot more movement as people start to take positions in week 2. Um week 2 usually historically always favors the underdog and that's because after week 1, uh you know everybody is betting up the favorites and it moves those lines so much that the underdogs become a value. We'll have to see now that we see a lot of teams were able to win on the road uh, uh this in in this week 1 and how that affects gamblers and their mentality.
1: Well, Steve, uh, this is Mike up in Boston. I'm old school like Michael Barr. I actually have a pen in my hand, and I have (laughs) yesterday's Boston Globe with the latest line, and I count seven dogs covered yesterday. Right. Seven dogs. Is that unusual for opening day?
2: It it, it is unusual. Um, It is unusual, but, um, you know, I think that this is unusual times. You know, but gamblers will adjust. You know, and again, I, I think that the reason we see that is because we didn't see we, did, we didn't see a lot of movement, like you said. So I, I, I think that at the end of the day, whenever there's an unknown, as a gambler, as a rule, whenever you're looking at two sides and you really don't know which one is, is better with the line, always take the points, right? That's just a, that's just the number one rule in gambling. And a lot a lot of gamblers get caught up in these teasers, you know, where, where are the type of bets where they'll get extra points for betting more and more teams. And I always say to gamblers, you know what? If you think you need an extra six points, maybe you should consider betting the other side.
3: So in these unusual times steve with all these sports i mean thursday was just this wild day in sports where you had all these leagues playing that aren't normally playing right. what's the net effect of that and and what have you seen given that obviously the nfl for all of this is the big enchilada right i mean that's the that's the sort of the center of gravity we know for the media world but also for the betting world right
2: If you're looking at it like a pizza pie, right, uh, you know, the NFL represents 100% of the pie. There are no gamblers that bet on baseball or basketball, but they just take the football season off. You know, if you're a sports gambler, you're betting football, whether it's college is actually bigger than the NFL. Just from a menu standpoint, you know, in the NFL there's X amount of games on a Sunday. College is usually in a normal college season 10 to 15 times that amount. Um, So, you know, with a bigger menu, you have a bigger volume. But football is king. Uh, after football, when it gets to you know, March madness, you know, yeah. college basketball and NBA, you're talking about about sixty five percent of the pie. Baseball represent about twenty five percent of the pie. You know, hockey's like half a slice
0: wow. speaking of college, now there's talk that the big ten, they had a meeting right. that they're revisiting uh, when they canceled uh, not playing in the fall. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, Well, let's see what we're going to do. Now, I haven't voted or anything yet, but when a big conference like that starts thinking, did we jump the gun too quick? Maybe the Pac-12 is thinking the same thing. Uh, What happens uh, if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 come to betting?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's obvious that these players, you know, who really drive the decision making, right, are watching going like, wait a second, why aren't we out there? You know, and, and you know, it, it's one thing to, you know, in, in theory to talk about it before the season starts when you think everyone's going to jump on the bandwagon with you. But then when you're sitting at home on a Saturday and you're watching, you know, all your peers, you know, competing for the same job you're competing for in the Bigs, you know, and they're out playing and making noise and you're at home barbecuing, you know, what's wrong with this picture? So I can totally understand. It's not surprising to me at all that some of these players have uh, buyers' remorse you know in in not being out there and um... you know i think that eventually they'll come to the table and i think that they'll make something happen sooner rather than later um... how that all works out i mean look it's a it's a big tent there's plenty of room for everybody so you know the sooner they get started the better it is for everybody else but me selfishly as a sports gambler in the sports gambling business you know i would kinda like to see college football you know in in march you know, so, like, have it now, have it then. You know, have college football all year round. College football is the most profitable sport, you know, in, in sports gambling. So, I, you know, there should always be college football as far as I'm concerned.
1: <laughs> now, wait, you just said college is more profitable than pro football? Oh, Absolutely.
2: It? It, it's just really? a matter of games. Well, yeah, when you have 80 games on a Saturday and 16 yeah. on a Sunday, You know, it's just it's just a bigger menu and it's just more money bet, more volume bet. Absolutely. More volume bet on college football than NFL.
3: Well, speaking of football all year round, Steve, we saw the resurrection and then the quick decline of the XFL. There was a lot of hoopla around that. Now we think it may come back. What's the viability given the interest of football in another pro league? And what did you see even in that moment where we had pro football in the spring?
2: Right, so a thousand dollar better in the NFL, bet a hundred bucks in the in the XFL. Mm. Um, we saw the XFL completely embrace gambling with the lines, you know, right on the screen during the games, um, with the analysis. But I mean, this has never worked before. You right. know, when you have something like the the NFL, which is nirvana for gamblers, you know, it's really hard to recreate that without without the players. You know what I mean? And um, uh, look, I think at the end of the day. Um, it, 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 it it's it's gonna take a sustained effort. I always looked at the XFL as an alternative league that could be successful the way some minor league baseball is successful in certain towns where there's not much entertainment in those towns and they do a real good job of entertaining the folks and the and, and the locals come out and support the minor league team. They sell the tickets for ten to fifteen bucks. You know, they do great concession numbers, you know, they're doing no T V numbers, but it but but it really provides for a nice local type of entertainment. I always thought there was room for the XFL as kind of an entertainment option. Um, I don't know if they're going to ever compete with the NFL in a, in a gambling market. But um, look, uh, the guys behind it now are very skilled at what they do. But if they're not going to sustain an effort over the course of five to ten years, there's no way they're going to they're going to hit pay dirt within a year or two.
0: I know we're going to talk more about online gambling today, but I want to go back to a book you wrote back in yep. two thousand seven. It was uh, bets, drugs, and rock and roll, the rise and fall of the world's first offshore gambling empire. And I go back, first, you know, disclosure here, I I was a big online poker player back in those days. I enjoyed playing poker back then. And everything was going fine for us until uh, Senator Bill Frist, he uh, inserted the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act. And that, to me, started the downfall of everything. Can you, can yeah. you comment more on that?
2: Well, I mean, I, I got out uh, to Panama in 1994. Um, we opened up there. Uh, it was pretty much a telephone sports book. There was no Internet yet. Um, and we were taking bets from about eight to 10,000 customers, uh, country, you know, U.S.-wide. Uh, they would call into our call center in Panama. Um, I moved the operation to Costa Rica in '96, actually, because because there were technical problems in Panama. They didn't have the, they didn't have the landscape. They didn't have the technology. They didn't, they didn't really have the, the the capability and the brain power there to really run that kind of operation. Where I found Costa Rica to have it all, and we kind of laid fiber optics there. We put in the Western Union's. We put in the creditmatic credit card processing, and then the explosion of the internet you know, really changed the whole game. And I was looking – listen, full disclosure, you talk about full disclosure, I was one of the guys that said, oh, man, the Internet will never work for sports for sports betting. There's no way someone's going to go from getting on the phone and saying, give me 5000 on a game and having a human on the other side saying, you're in – like clicking a button and going, okay, I trust it, my bet's in. You know what I mean? I There's no way. These guys are nuts. Well, I was wrong, obviously, which I am wrong 50% of the time, and that's the nature of a gambler. But um, the reason I was wrong was more because the internet opened up the world to $5 bets. So we look at the online average of betting right now in sports, it's $14 on the NFL. That's the average bet, and it's even less this year, because after the pandemic and people being hurt in their pockets, you know, there's they're, they're actually more people betting less. Right, so so the, the the volume of people betting is higher. The actual volume in betting is lower. So now that that, that average bet moves down to about eight or nine dollars from fourteen. But still, there's a lot of five dollar bettors in that crowd, right? And those guys never even could get a phone number in the past. You had to bet a minimum of a hundred dollars to even get a number, whether you're talking about betting offshore or, or you know like like the traditional way in the street. So so now it's a whole different world of betters, and that's why we see all these companies coming into into business now and we see all their stock prices you know going through the roof and why a lot of that is speculation. A lot of smart guys that think when the real numbers come in after the football season we're gonna see a pairback of that of those stock prices because they're all clamoring over the same better which is that ten to fifteen dollar better. The five thousand dollar better, the two thousand dollar better, the ten thousand dollar better, my God, they're still betting locally with their guy who gives them credit. They're not putting money up. You know, real gamblers don't like to pay the bill until dinner's over <laughs> that's a pretty good line
1: <laughs> steve with, with so many uh, with more and more states now making sports betting legal what effect right. has it had on the foot traffic i mean if you wanted to bet you had to go to vegas and walk in there and you know you you, you could go in in june and then get your over under on the number of wins that the new york giants are going to get right what effect has it had on foot traffic there and your business as well
2: well, in my business, the pick business, right? It's great. The more, the more, the more availability there is for for gambling, the more gamblers there are out there the better. I think what legal betting uh, kind of does is it acts as a loss leader. You know, it kind of gets these younger generational kids, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old, 18 years old, into the game a lot quicker. Because it's a lot harder for an 18 or 19 year old to find the college bookie, you know what I mean, than it is to go down to your local DraftKings or, you know, or, 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 or pen gaming operation and put in a bet. So I, I do think we're bringing in people on board. I also think that, believe it or not, fantasy, daily fantasy football and the failure... Of daily, of daily fantasy football actually helped sports gambling because you had a lot of these kids, you know, doing the daily fantasy. And I say kids, I'm 50. Kids to me means like anyone 25 years old, that area, you know, that's a kid to me. So, like, you know, you had a lot of these younger folk that were playing, uh, uh, you know, daily fantasy that did nothing but lose all season long. They never cashed a one ticket. The one great thing about sports gambling, it's a 50-50 sport. So even the worst gamblers are cashing usually over the course of a season as many tickets. As you know, as they lose, um, at the end of the day, they pay a little more when they lose, so they lose for the year. But it's the it's the illusion of winning that's always been the best marketing tool for sports gambling. In daily fantasy, there is no illusion. You don't win. You never win. You hardly ever win. Maybe one out of ten of your friends wins. The other nine are losers. And with all these losers, it, you know, it, people came running back to sports gambling with a vengeance.
3: And so given that we are living in a virtual world. Now, you've talked a little bit about this, Steve, but I want to dig a little bit deeper because it is an unusual time. We mentioned, you know, that Vegas, while open, is not what it was, certainly pre-pandemic. And obviously, the world is changing a little bit in terms of where you can go physically. What's the net effect to your, in, in your opinion, on... You know, people not being able to, you know, take that trip to Vegas or head down to Atlantic City, like on the sports book specifically.
2: Well, I think it's been a lot harder on strip clubs than sports books, to be honest. But, um, you know, that (laughs) (laughs) that, that being said, you know, sports gambling was always a sport, always a gambling option that the betting part of it merely was the entrance fee to get you to watch the game right uh. so the so it, so the, so the, the action always took place from the beginning of time whether we're talking 1970 or today on the television screen right and the betting is just what you did before the game to get everything ready so that you could sit down and watch the game and root you know whereas blackjack or baccarat or poker these all these all are betting options that take place you know as you know the betting is 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 the entertainment. You know what I mean? So you never stop betting. You know, there's a bet every minute, a bet every 30 seconds. You know what I mean? And that is the entertainment. Where in football, the entertainment is, was, and will always be the game itself. Now, they're trying to make with live betting and all these props, they're trying to make, you know, football betting into a slot machine, but that'll never happen. Um, and, I, and again, I could be wrong. I've been wrong in the past. But from what I've seen, you've got about 3 to 5% of the betting community that's actually taking place in the live betting options. You know, and the rest, the meat and potatoes, 97% of gamblers are still doing it the way they did it in 1970, the way they've done it up until now, which is they make their bets before the game, maybe. Be at halftime, you know, as well, and then they're watching the game. And whether they're watching the game in Vegas or watching it in their basement, maybe Joe Biden's watching it in his basement, or watching it anywhere else, you know, um, that's the same, that's the same way they've done it forever. And, um, and so it hasn't really changed much. And the fact that there's more options now to get your bet down, and you're getting your bet down over your phone, that's probably just more convenient for gamblers than having to take that one-time trip to Vegas to get their bets in, because the community that they lived in wasn't New York, wasn't Philadelphia, wasn't Miami, where there's a bookmaker on every corner. They lived maybe in middle of, mm. Middle America, where they were hard-pressed to find the bookmaker. Now, they dial it up on their phone, you know, on their computer, wherever they need to, and they get a bet in, and next thing you know, they're in major action. I think, again, I think it's been a lot harder on traditional casino gambling than it has been on sports gambling. Sports gambling is the same as it's been since 1970.
0: How long will it take before, well, let's say not not the entire nation, I know there are some states that will never let it happen, but we see it widespread of online gambling.
2: Well, I think we're seeing it because, you know, between the the legal options in many states, I think about 20 20 to 21 states have it now, uh, jurisdictions, um, and, and the ease of illegal gambling in the states that will never need legal options. Like, you know, it's funny that, you know, Philadelphia, uh, more bookmakers in Philadelphia than New York, Miami, and Vegas combined, and yet they have Penn Gaming there, and there's plenty still of gamblers to go around. So I think that, you know, I think that before, I think it is widespread now. I think it is, you know, and, and what happens is is that, you know, first of all, they've never arrested a gambler for betting, unless he was part of some syndicate or some type of organized crime operation. But a normal Joe who is betting $100 or 500 on a game to this day has never been arrested anywhere. It becomes even harder to make those prosecutions when the state next to you, it's legal. You know, so it's not like a moral issue. It's just an actual, you know, uh, letter of the law issue. So I think that as the numbers come in, if the states that that have made this major bet on sports gambling do well, and are able to generate the type of revenue that they're touting, I, I don't think it'll be long, maybe within five years, that we'll see a majority of the states not want to see their 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 citizens run across the border to the neighboring state and give their money there.
1: Steve, will there always be a place for the local bookmaker? 100 well, He will never become
0: extinct.
2: Never become extinct because he gives credit. And, and, and credit drives the sports gambling industry. You know, it, it, it's, that, it's that Sunday night bailout game, right? You're trying to get under your number so you don't have to pay your man. You know, and, and we'll never see big corporations that accept credit cards moving into the credit industry because they can't exact the type of fear that it takes to collect you know there's still that 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 element you know guys guys pay their bookmakers because in their mind they feel like they have to guys don't pay the, you know you know their credit card companies because they know that it that all they can do is have to do is pay minimum balances and they'll get a new credit card next month to to you know to to, to fill up so it's a whole different animal and as long as bookmakers are able to give credit um, and provide that personal service their their businesses uh, haven't been affected whatsoever you know again it's not it's not the thousand and the two thousand dollar betters and the five hundred dollar betters that are running to these legal sports books it's the five dollar the ten dollar the fifteen dollar the hundred dollar better and those bo- those customers never affected you know illegal gambling before and they won't now
3: so Steve, last question for you what's the next big? moment, the next big catalytic moment for the gambling world? I mean, you've seen it over the past couple decades, really, you know, with a couple fits and starts, as you guys, uh, you and Michael Barr were talking about earlier, you know, it's gone up and up and up. What's the next sort of accelerant, as it were? Well,
2: what, what, I, what I'd like to see, at least, and what I think will happen is places like Vegas, where you have a legal uh, a betting uh, uh, atmosphere and and, a, and the technological ability to wire up a stadium, so that you know, fans are sitting in their seats and they're kind of betting on you know live action you know as it's happening at the live event. Now I see something like that. I think would be really cool, and it takes us to the next level. Or they're not really doing that, you know, necessarily in their home. But if you have fans engaged and, and with, with with little you know a uh, ports next to their seat where they're able to actually you know you know put in their bets right there, you know, and, and swipe their credit card into their seat. You know, I think I think uh, fan engaging live events. Gambling, you know, is potentially the next the next level, and I also see as the next big uh, sport is esports. You know, where, where right. you know the kids that are now uh, again kids, you know, 18, 19, 17 years old, when they get disposable income in their twenties, you know, you know, five, six, seven years from now, and they've been doing the esport thing for the last seven, eight years, it's that they're starting to lay the, the the foundation and the groundwork now. But the real money won't come into play until these guys that are playing, you know, the the esports and loving the esports, become, you know, uh, uh, have have some disposable income to start gambling. And we see it, we see it happening. And in those events, you'll see events where people go see live competition for the esports and bet right there, you know, in the in the stadiums on the esports. I think esports, as we look over the next ten years, is the biggest growth market in all of sports gambling.
0: Sportsinfo.com CEO Steve Boudin, you are very kind to come and join us. And, yes, I I do. I got my old pen, and I have my old notebook, (laughs) and I'm going through all the lines, and and I'm looking at it. I'm old school. I can't help it. I'm that 1970 dude. Steve, thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
3: It was my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me.
0: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr along with Mike Lynch and Jason Kelly.
3: And we're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week. We're going to speak with Super Bowl winning coach and NFL analyst Brian Billick.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts.